Welcome to the Military Transition Academy's PM Pathfinder series, where Max Rogers, former enlisted Marine turned naval officer and civilian energy industry project manager extraordinaire, teams up with the formal Navy enlisted and Army officer candidate Eric Doc Wright, Vesta PM's founder and best-selling author, alongside Jeremy Burdick, a retired Air Force chief, aircraft mechanic, and aviator turned civilian operations chief and process specialist for Vesta PM and the PDU University, bring you an audio-video suite to help you find the path while mentoring you in the profession of project management. Along the way, you can study for your CAP on PMP, PMIACP, Scrum Master Certifications, or just maintain your professional development units in a casual, enjoyable conversation between friends. All right. Well, welcome back for another episode of the PM Pathfinder. So happy to have you, Max. Um, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground today. We'll try not to get too deep into some of the topics because I know that some of them are wave tops. We're going to start off with the uh, the overview of describing a purpose <clears throat> and importance of the cost, quality, risk, and schedule. So cost, quality, risk, schedule. We'll, we'll cover the importance of those real quick and as we dive into it, but we don't have to get, drive into you know necessarily the how, it's more of the why. So let's let's start with cost. Why do we create like a cost baseline, a cost management plan, a, a performance baseline. So all those things that deal with cost, like what would you say is the main objective? To ensure an understanding between the project stakeholders and the project team that you're, that you're completely aligned. I mean, uh, you know, the sponsors can think something's gonna cost X amount of dollars, and the project team does the cost estimate and the two don't align. Uh, that's why it's important to put all of this information that you just talked about in the project charter. So it's in one, one single document. And like you said, high level, you don't have to go into all the explanation of how you develop this budget. You don't even have to go into all the, the spin plan, exactly how it's going. A lot, lot of project charters, because a lot of companies are cash flow constrained, they want you to put in the project charter, how much money you're going to need first quarter, how much you're going to need second quarter, how much you need third quarter, and as the project progresses, just so the financial management department can ensure there's enough cash on hand to, to fund the project. And uh, but once again, whether it's scope, schedule, quality, risk, man, all these things, the, the top level information needs to be in your project charter. And that to me, I discovered that was the fundamental and most important document of all the project management planning processes and 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 outcomes that you had. The thing that I use the most. I always used, I used to, at the beginning of the project, I would take my project charter, I would print off two copies. One copy went in my three ring binder project notebook, and it was pristine at the end of the project. The other, pro, the other copy was my working copy. And at the end of a project, it was dog-eared, it had been folded, it had coffee stains all over, it had notes scribbled in the margins, and it was a well-used document uh, and it looked humble compared to the uh, original printed one for for the documentation purposes, but it was the one I used, and it was a it was a testament to how often I used it. 
No, that's great. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, if you're not there for the charter, then make sure that stuff's in your um, cost management plan. Yes. Sure. You're talking over it. Right. And it's, and I think what you said was really profound is it's not, it's not necessarily for this tactical reason or this tactical reason. It's so that you're syncing up the stakeholders exactly. with the project team. It's expectation management. And alignment. That's what I, that's the word I like to use is yeah. let's make sure we're all aligned here. And we, we all have the same expectations. And you know, the the definition of success and the definition of finish, when are we done? What, yeah, what, yeah. Does, what does complete look like? Absolutely. And uh, and it, and if you if you don't do that, then you can wind up. I, I I witnessed. I was never involved in, but I witnessed projects that just went on forever that right. were never closed out. And the reason they couldn't close them out is no one could agree on what was the finish line. Oh, that's great. Yeah, definition of done is you know that's the agile word. Um, you know, in in the completion phase of a project in a predictive sense. If you don't define it, then you don't know, like like you said, when you're done, mm -hmm. what does a budget do? It helps you know if you're on, over, or under the budget. So it also helps, like you say, align that glide path towards really you're burning down your budget or you're increasing it to a certain goal. So I like that. I think that's really good. And then when you talk about, you know, quality. What, uh, you know, we, we typically say that's the meeting of requirements. So like you're building a bridge, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a bridge that I can drive a semi truck over or a extra heavy load or, you know, to what standard do I get from point A to B? Those are meeting of those requirements. And then, you know, in case by stakeholder satisfaction. So in your mind, like the importance of a good quality management plan, what's some good examples that, you know, just kind of resound with you? Well, uh, what always paid dividends to me were an inspection plan and having inspection reports that were produced. A lot of the work, uh, especially in the oil and gas industry, you're governed by numerous federal agencies, uh, Bessie, uh, the Offshore Management Organization, OSHA, all these things. And in order to ensure that you are complying with all the requirements, uh, you have to collect the data, and then from the data, it morphs into information that you 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 need to to uh, make management decisions about you know are things right are they not? And then from there, you they they transition into reports, and then these reports go out, and that becomes your documentation for your project. But it's uh, um, uh, having. A, a an inspection plan and uh, and more you know that part of your schedule and part of your your budget because the the thing most inspections cost money and so it's it's easy you can track inspections through your financial documents or your task documents and also uh, a lot of times uh, inspections are milestones and you 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 check those off as a as a milestone obtained because I have a past uh, inspection certificate here that says I'm, I, I'm complying with all the requirements and we're good to go. And especially, uh, you know, in a linear type project plan where you're not an adaptive, but, but, but uh, uh, more where you're going stage gate controlled, you've got to get through that. That's, a, that's what this documentation helps you. Oh, 
I love it. So you brought up a, some really good points, you know, and the Pembok talks about, you know, WPD, WPI and WPR. And that's what Max was saying was, you know, uh, data goes into the information and it's a raw data. Don't know, project manager may not may or may not know what to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm. we, we have 10,000 rivets. Well, that's great. 10,000 of a million, 10,000 right. of 10,000, very different uh, equations. The information is when you put the context of I have 10,000 of a million, right? And then the report, what's it look like on a spreadsheet, a pie chart or something, whatever an, an executive or a stakeholder could digest. Exactly. And, and, and that's the benefit of taking information and turning it into reports is you can take digital data and information and turn it into a visual presentation of a pie chart or a graph or a Gantt chart or something that, yes, that's what upper managers, CEOs and CFOs and COOs, you know, they don't have time to read all the data. They're looking at, and we we always use color codes. You know, we got green, yellow, uh, yellow and, and red, you know, and as long as everything's green, they, they don't give it a second look. When it, it turns to yellow, they're going to want to know, okay, why did it go yellow and, and give a, a brief explanation when it's red or, or flashing red, then everybody's interest and it becomes a fire drill. So, right. um, uh, but, and that's how you call their attention to it also is put things, color code things and put things during a, a meeting, during a presentation, something pops up on the screen that's red. It's like, Hey, it's uh, there's an issue here. We need to talk about this. So. Yeah, agreed. And it's uh, something else that uh, we talked about in a different episode is it's about the communication, right? And you're elevating the decision above yourself. You may not be have the authority nor control to fix something that's red. So right. it's engaging all the stakeholders. What can you do to help me get this off of red? Right. And they're going to immediately feel that they're going to sense that like we've got an emergency. Let's all get our big brains together. Obviously, you know, that really brings us into what's the importance of risk management, right? right? Exactly. So. exactly. So, and that, and, and to be honest, we, you know, senior executives in a company, they're, they're pulled in a million different directions and every day their, their daily uh, day activities are as one fire drill after another. And unless it's red, it's not a fire. And it's, uh, you know, if it's yellow, they assume that the people in charge, the project manager or the, the people beneath them can handle it. It's not, uh, you know, they, they may notice it when it's yellow, but they're not getting involved when it's yellow. They get involved when it's red. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's where you put like the boundaries, right? I can handle budgetary changes of this percent to this percent. Like you, you put your bowling lanes in. If it hits the gutter, I got to engage the uh, executive. That's mean that's red. Like for right. me, yellow is, I got it, boss, but I want you to know that I've had to use my risk management plan with agreed upon risk responses. And I pulled it off the shelf. We dusted it off. We're in the emergency procedures. Got it. We got it. Goes red. I need I need outside help, you know, kind of thing. And and that's why it's so important in your, your spending plan or in your cost plan that you specifically call out and designate who has the authority to spend up to a certain level of money? You know, I, my first exposure to that was was in the Navy, working for the for the federal government as as a as a certified contracting officer uh, for the government. That's a it, while I was in it was a five level. I understand now it's reduced down to three, but at entry level you could obligate the federal government for like twenty five thousand dollars. 
at the if you were a level five, you had unlimited authority. You could you could sign a contract with a contractor for an unlimited amount of money. And of course, you know the people with that authority were were very limited and very few and far between. But as you worked, you started out with a, a minimum level, you know, at twenty five thousand. So you could sign purchase orders and you could buy office supplies and you could buy those sort of things that that's so that the the ensigns and the JGs could handle all that stuff. But when you got up uh, into the tens of thousands or even millions of dollars, you know, you wanted to make sure it was middle grade officers or, or senior enlisted guys who had years of experience and knew what the, 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 that this was the right thing to do, the proper procedures were being followed and all that. And once again, uh, we control that in the military by discipline and organizational structures. You control that in the civilian world by having uh, uh, spend plans and, and financial management plans and cost plans in your project. And that's how you control because you don't have the rigid organizational structure in a in a project that you have in a military organization. Yeah. That's how you yeah. get the same effect. I love how you tied that to the purpose and the importance of the budget, but it's also is it meeting the requirement under the quality? Hey, if something goes bad, that ties into the risk. Uh, let's right. talk schedule a little bit. Obviously, very similar to budget because man hours count, uh, timelines count, every, all this stuff matters. So in a sense of a schedule, and I know you, you've told a couple mm -hmm. stories before, but you know, where do you think the purpose of the schedule and but more so the importance of having a really dialed in schedule? Well, the schedule uh, um, product that I used most was my uh, uh, schedule performance uh, index that I use because that way you could tell is it if it's positive, I'm good. If it's negative, I'm bad. So once again, it's that collecting data, turning the data into information and then putting the information into a report so that you understand it and it can go up and the people above you do. Uh, schedule is a, because it, it, it can be depicted on a calendar or on a chart, it's a visual uh, tool that everyone can see and everyone understands. But in the business world, time is money. And, and there, there, there is an easy way to designate your time as the cost. And for a project team, it's simple. You just take the members of your project team, you add up their hourly uh, charge rate or their actual cost that it, they cost the company. And you put that all together and sum it up. And hey, if the project team spends a day doing this, this costs you X amount of dollars. I used, I learned this principle of to avoid having excess meetings. Anyone who called a meeting, one of the requirements was they had to, to look at the people they invited to the meeting, look at their over their cost structure and determine what was the cost of that meeting. Now, are you sure you want to meet for an hour or are you going to, or can that meeting be conducted in a half an hour? Because you've got to show the value of this meeting and the way to turn time into value is add the dollars associated with the people's time to do it. And uh, it always, then, then the, the number of meetings dropped off precipitously when people had to start justifying why you wanna spend this amount of money. Yeah, well, wonderful. And you think about, um, it's that re return on time investment. Exactly. If I've got 17 people in a meeting room, 
I'm likely not getting a bunch done. I'm telling, like I'm, I'm directing. I need 17 of you to go do this. Right. But if it's, if it's a uh, small, like collaborative meeting, you probably are getting a little bit more done. And if you've got a, like a serious objective, like just for meetings management, right. You start on time, you, the but day before, hopefully you get, what's the objective of the meeting? What am I trying to get so that they can pre be thinking about it and coming up with ways to identify, you know, discuss, and then solve the issues that are part of the objective. If there's no issues, why are you meeting? It could be done in a meeting, like an email. Right, you know? Exactly. And the same way on that that same uh, meeting notification you send out, put what the out, the expected outcome of the meeting is, whether it's it's an update to a plan or whether it's a it's a, a decision or or whatever it is. You know, make sure there are clear expectations there so that everybody on the project team knows the purpose and and to use the example you just gave you get 17 people sitting around a table for an hour i don't care where you're working that's a large amount of money but if you if you reduce the time required in that meeting from one hour to a half hour you just saved half of what you're going whatever the amount of money you're you're going to what your cost was it just got cut in half right. and uh you know and there there are ways that you learn a Effective to do that, uh, you know, remove, take the chairs out of the conference room, make, let everybody stand. It's amazing how much quicker everyone can can put out the information they need and 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 receive the information they need when they're standing up as opposed to when they're sitting down. Oh man, good tactic, right? Time saver. Exactly. <laughs> if you can't get it done in thirty minutes, well, you probably aren't going to get it done in that meeting anyway. Probably not. It's probably not the, not the uh, meeting is not the, the answer to the solution or the solution to the problem. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think uh, you brought up SPI. I love that, you know, positive number means you're, you're doing good. You're ahead of schedule negative, you know, and it's typically like 1.1 1 .1 or right. negative one point or negative 0.9 or something like it. So right. you're, you're within some kind of a boundary of schedule. And I like that, that, that forces you to do a little bit of math, but it immediately tells the project manager where you're at on performance. Um, a lot of people like Gantt charts where, you know, you stick it up against uh, a calendar, these you right. know blocks, what you get there is duration of time per task. Uh, when it's supposed to start, when it's supposed to finish, you can get precedencing, you know, I have to lay concrete before I frame, right? So I, and then I've got to have a lag in there because this is probably a cure time. So I know there's a lot of, a lot of words that are coming out, uh, vocabulary, but ultimately, you know, as you, as you begin to study into the profession, you're going to project managers will sound like project managers. They're going to use those words. So study up. Exactly. And another important term is, is trend analysis and that mm -hmm. using an SPI, you can, you can, you annotate your SPI at the end of each week and each month, whatever your reporting period is. And then you watch it. And uh, you know, if, if you're uh, and during your project plan, the development of your project plan, you you may state that you you intend the plan is to get ahead of schedule in the early days of the project because as the project comes to a conclusion you there are things outside of your span of control that have to happen before you can complete the project and you're probably going to be delayed so you build some cushion into your your schedule by getting ahead of schedule uh, as much as you can and then you know, pay that back at the end when things are happening beyond. And I, that's all comes out of your risk register. 
but it's uh, it's also available. So it's a tool that you can use with your schedule planning also to to uh, accentuate your risk register and wow. mitigation. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You got a gas pedal that you can press or or release a little bit, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and if you get ahead of schedule, you have a lot more opportunity to get under budget too, because exactly. that means you can offboard workers. You can, you know, you can do things, strategic things to help you deliver your project on time and on budget. Um, so that, I, that's great advice. Um, as we shift gears into distinguishing between the different deliverables of a project management plan versus a project or a product. So project management plan versus product management plan. I know we've got a lot of uh, great information on project management plans and, and how many components, you know, 19 different components that it should have. And we don't need to list them all out. But let's talk project management plan first, and then we'll swap over to the product management plan. Well, the way I've always been able to keep the two separate in my mind is the project management plan is, is how you intend to do the work. The product management plan is the work. That's, that's what you're actually doing. And that's what you're, they wind up at the same place. The end of a project, you've produced this product service or, or, or uh, you know, whatever the, the, the goal, the objective of the project was, which is the product. Uh, so you get there at the same time, but then, but then the product management plan, then if it's repetitive, okay. Hey, once you, once you, if it's the first product you've ever made, the project management plan is, is very, very important to go through to document all the necessary processes and how we do this, measure our successes, uh, the, the, uh, define ways that we can improve, uh, discover lessons learned, all these things. But once you get all that done and once you actually get a product and you start making a product, then you sort of shift from uh, into operations as opposed to project management because it's no longer a project when you're doing you know making the same thing over and over and over and over again then it, you're you you move from the project into operations and uh, so it's like I said when in my mind it was always simple for me to look at it product management is the thing I'm making or what I'm doing the service I'm providing project management is the way I'm going to get to that point to to have that. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. I think uh, we have said it a little bit before. It's like if you're you're discussing the how versus the what and the how is like all the processes, the procedures, the the techniques, the OPAs, the you know, the EFs and, and obviously some more words in there, but that you're going to utilize to get to the product management is more of that, the integration of all those processes, procedures, and objectives to create something. Like it's yeah. the tactical work within the production method, right? Uh, to put it quite simply, like if you had a built a conveyor belt for an assembly line, that's project management physical model T rolling on that, that's the product we're working on, right? We're integrating the conveyor belt, the workers, the, the screws, the guns, the, you know, everything that they need, the paint is going onto that product as it rolls down. But that whole building, then the warehouse really is that project management. It's everything housed inside of it. Right. Exactly. And, and an easy way to, to determine 
which is which is look at the communication plan. The, in a project management plan, the communication plan is internal, uh, mostly to the stakeholders. Whereas in a product management plan, the communication is to the customers. It's an external communication. So it's uh, those those are two striking differences between the two. Yeah, I like it's the it. Focus I, of your comm plan. Yeah, what wonderful way to to use another portion of the project management plan to really see what what are we doing product wise. So great great technique. I will say like the the newest versions of the PMBOK we'll talk about like the product environment, which is a little bit foreign for old project management, but it's like, it's, it's all about the teams, right? You're, you're establishing these teams, you're using the incremental funding and you're using program management um, to, to kind of couch the whole product development style. And in, even in the world, like corporate world today, you'll sometimes see uh, job positions as product developer, product enhancement engineer, product manager. Um, so it's it's just something to be aware of is, is there's a, a bit of a market shift of, hey, we don't develop projects around here. We develop products. Right. Well, well how do we do those through project management? So <laughs> and, and if I was placed in a position as a product manager, the first thing I would do is go find the project management plan that was used to develop the product. <laughs> that would be my starting point to develop my product management plan would be yeah. the project management plan that got me to this point to, to produce the product. Right. Yeah. And I guess you could say life cycle could be a little bit different, right? You've got a project that could be short duration or a right. product. A product could be very long duration. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, it's, if it's a flagship product of a company, they probably are going to keep doing it for long after the project is over. Uh, so timeline could really, you know, play a factor. Imagine the product uh, management plan for Microsoft Project. I mean, <laughs> it's. I'm sure it it fills up numerous volumes of of what. It, and but and I'm I would be confident that the project management plan they use to develop Microsoft Project is still available and it's probably on the same shelf as the product management plan. Right. Absolutely. And probably d dives into. Um, operational versus project, right? Because now you've got, you know, support items, you've got repetitive checklist things, you've got bug fixes, which could be mini miniature projects, right? Um, because they're all temporary. The feedback loop. Right. It's Beautiful. It's all a feedback loop that that comes back in for product enhancement and 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 to avoid ob product obsolescence. You know, some some products are designed to become obsolete, and then you go on to cause the company is going to offer you the next product. And that that I've seen that in software. They, you know, the 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 purpose of of a lot of software is to only get you to a certain point. And once you, if that's as far as you're going, this is all you need. But once you get to that point that software is not going to support your needs, but we have another product for you to purchase that will, that will carry you the next step of the journey. So. Yeah. Well said, well said. And you, and you see companies like Apple, they produce a new iPhone every couple of years, every yes. couple of years. It's designed to sunset so that exactly. you'll have a new product. So I, a great way to bring that up. As far but as it still has to accommodate the old products. I mean, you know, if Apple makes a new phone that the or comes up with a new system or a new uh, operating system, it has to support the previous iPhones at least back two or three generations. 
Yeah, because, because you're not gonna gonna be able to sustain, uh, you know, in the marketplace if you're making products that you're no or you have products that are still in the marketplace that are not being supported. Yeah, and, agreed. And and you see, Microsoft does that with their Windows updates. You know, it uh, they just recently com, com, you know stopped uh, supporting Windows Seven. I think you know uh, up until even though they're at, at eleven or twelve now or or some some version way beyond seven, but they still, but, but seven still works. If you're, that's all you need, then, then fine. It's there. Yeah. Great. Great point. Great example. Um, as we ship, okay, let's talk a little bit about milestones and then task duration. So high level milestone doesn't have a time associated with it. Uh, task duration does have time associated with it and work involved. Uh, but let's start with a milestone. Like what's a good example of a milestone? Well, a milestone is something that's definitive and that you can can point to. And yes, we're there. We're at this point. It's like, you know, if you're if you're orienteering with the map out in a uh, in a, somewhere in, in a countryside somewhere, you have to be able to orientate yourself. You have to find a place, something on the map. And whether it's a tree or a crossroads, and that's a good example. So, okay, you're standing at that crossroads. You know where you're at. Okay, I, I'm on this journey. I made it to this crossroad. That's a milestone. And now the duration of my journey is not complete. I'm not at the destination yet, but I made this milestone. And now at this crossroad, I have to make a choice. I go left or I go right. And I've got my plan and my directions, and, and this is what I follow. But, um, but you know, milestone, it's important to place milestones along your schedule so that you, you know that definitively that you are making progress. Uh, uh, there are some instances where it's important to put place milestones at the end of a task there are some place times it's appropriate to put a milestone in the middle of a task, especially if that task is dependent upon numerous other tasks that have to be completed before you can complete this task. Then once they're all completed, that could be a milestone in the task that you're going because at least I know there that everything prior has that's required has been done. Yeah. Another importance of milestone that I, I learned from an organization I was working in is that that's a great opportunity to have a celebration and they're uh, one of the one of the super major oil companies in the world they they are eminent about project managers celebrating milestones they want milestones to be identified they want them to be used as goals and then when those goals are obtained they want you to celebrate that We're, with, you know, taking a project team out to lunch, uh, uh, have a cocktail party, uh, get in a conference room and invite the senior executives to come down, the project sponsor or whatever, and, and to make a spiel, uh, to give out awards uh, for performance awards and things like that. But, but it, 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 I, I, I didn't realize the uh, opportunity that existed with milestone attainment as, and, and it's a very important part with managing your project team as far as the morale of your project team. Uh, it makes them feel appreciated. It makes them know that, 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 that their efforts are being uh, observed, number one, and that they're appreciated and they're celebrated. 
And uh, so, you know, a, a piece of paper just with a, a, an appreciate, a letter of appreciation or a, an accomplishment certificate of some kind, it's very inexpensive to produce, but it, go, it buys you a lot of goodwill with the person that you give it to. And especially if it's truly earned. So, and I'm not, I'm no advocate of, of giving participation trophies to everyone, but um, I had the good fortune of most of the members of my project teams wanted to be on my project team. They wanted to do a good job and, and most of them excelled in their positions. And I, I constantly was on the lookout of how I could reward them and acknowledge their, uh, their performance and, uh, and, and a milestone attainment is an excellent time to do that. Wow. I, I never know which direction you're going to go, but I love it because you never think about a milestone from a perspective of, uh, it, it's a celebration, right? It's a, it's, it's putting a stick in the sand or a flag and saying, Hey guys, we just did this. We just got past one of four of milestones and we should celebrate that it's motivation for your team. Like you said, but it's also communication to stakeholders. Like it is, they don't have to uh, figure out this long schedule with red and yellow. They they can simply say, "Hey, I'm one out of four. That means we're doing pretty good, right?" <laughs> okay. As long as you're no more than a quarter way through your schedule and a quarter way through your budget, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point. So, yeah, well, yeah. So it's a great communication tool. It's a great motivation tool, um, and, and it's a really good high level executive review of what you just did. And I really like that you brought in too with a milestone could be in the middle or even in the beginning of a task, because if you're waiting on an inspection, like a building code inspection or, Hey, a master electrician needs to go look, we can't drywall over it before the master electrician goes and checks. So that could delay a, a task. So let's talk about task duration a little bit as we, as we um, kind of transform uh, a milestone is not a task. But there are, and there's no duration with milestones, but there are with tasks. So let's talk just a little bit on duration. Okay. And, 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 you know, during your, when you're planning the project, you sit down and do, when you're developing your work breakdown uh, schedule and, uh, and work breakdown system and, and putting all these things together, developing the, the, the discovering the work that needs to be accomplished breaking that work down to the smallest levels that you can do, do uh, per, can you can foresee anyway, and then establishing uh, durations, but the, and those durations, you have to always stay focused on the duration is directly proportional to the amount of resources that you are able to apply to the work that has to be done. So uh, it, it's, in a manufacturing facility or in a manufacturing environment, uh, scheduling durations is fairly simple. Everybody comes to work at eight o'clock in the morning, they clock in, they go to their machine and they, they start working. Um, on a construction site, durations are much more difficult to uh, obtain uh, or to, to stick to or to, to discover because it, it can be weather dependent it could be, there could be, the, the, the duration could be dependent upon material delivery. Um, it could be, it's dependent upon the workers you have, the resource. You know, if, uh, you know, we just, in this pandemic that we just gone through, you know, uh, six guys, you got a five-man crew and, and three guys don't show up because they're sick with COVID. 
uh, you know, that's going to impact your duration of the activity. You got to put a roof on a house and you got, you still, just because three guys didn't show up work doesn't alive, alive, uh, uh, absolve you of putting the roof on the house. The difference now in the duration is I only got two people to put the roof on, you know, whereas I plan the duration to have five people. So like you need to, number one, document it, document the lack of resource and use that to explain the change in the duration. But then you have to sit down and do your, put your project manager hat on and determine, okay, now what's the impact of this change in duration and how is it going to impact the further uh, processes or activities that are on down downstream from this. Hopefully you've got your process, your activities and tasks broken up so they diverge to some level so that a delay in one area doesn't delay the entire project. And you can keep making progress, keep doing, and you figure out a way then to go back and make up that lost time or that extended duration in one activity later on as you're going on. But the, but the whole project doesn't come to a halt just because I only got two roofers as opposed to five roofers. So. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but we're, what, what Max is kind of laying out is the uh, critical path. Right. Exactly. So if you have a critical path and this task requires this task and this, that's your shortest distance, right? And if you don't build buffer in, in between those and something happens, guess what happens to your end date? Expected end date or closure date, boom, delivery date, always push to the right. You can't do anything about it. Exactly. Direct correlation. Any any change or any extension of a duration on the critical path moves that the completion date out the same number of days. Yeah, so, beautiful. So. Yeah. It's like a hard law of, of that's why it's called the critical path. It, it is the critical path. Yeah. Yeah. I know some techniques you can do some crashing or some fast tracking and 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 utilize uh, resources. And that's our very next topic. And uh and I agree. I just want to point out one thing that you said. It does depend on the people. Not so if you have six and three show up, well, what if those six are all rookies? You know, so exactly. You, you've also got a skill problem, right? And you may need to look at your resources and talk to the functional managers and get the A, at least a couple A quality, a couple B quality, and a couple C quality individuals that can produce so you have more of an average work rate. Well, that's why, Jeremy, I, I always took it upon myself every time I started somewhere new in a new organization, of course. The first place you go is the HR office. Well, that's an excellent opportunity to develop a relationship with people in the HR office. And as a project manager, when you're standing up a project, those are the people that can tell you who's available, how much time, what the skill level of, uh, is of these people. You know, they actually have copies of their resumes and they, they have CVs for these people. They have all this information. So, so it's part of the relationship building that a project manager needs to constantly be doing is don't waste. And I, I advise all young project managers is your first day in that company when you're sitting there with the, with the HR, the, the person in the HR department, take that opportunity to develop a relationship with that person in the HR department because you can't get anything accomplished by yourself. It depends on your project team. Well, your project team comes out of the, the, the information you use to set up your project team is all that information resides in the human resources department. And it's a one-stop shopping. You can go 
to and, and get all that information about the talent within your organization. You can also discover the talent that you don't have within your organization and go, okay, I've got to have an alternative method. I'm going to have to contract out for these tasks because we don't have the skills in-house to do this. And by going through the HR department, when you go to your boss and request the additional funds or the change order in order to contract this out, you tell them right up front, hey, I've already been to HR and, and we've sat down and discussed this. And the good thing to do is bring the HR manager with you in tow and say, yeah, we, we don't have this skill sets within the company. The only way we, we don't need it, that there's no reason to hire someone in this field because this is a one thing, one time off. What we need to do is contract for this work. Yeah. Wow. Benefits you. And you think about that when we when we talk about determining the number of type of resources in a project, that is completely aligned with that. That's one of the best first stops, like you said, is go find out what resources we have. The better question is, what resources don't we have so that we know what number we need to bring on and what types of resources? Because a resource can really be the two major categories is material or human, right? I mean, that's the two major ones. There's some others out there, but... Um, with respect to that, what's a really, what, what do you use like as a good technique to determine some of the number of resources that you might need? Other than obviously you just use a great example of go to the HR. Well, well, the way you determine what resources you need, the way I do it anyway, is I, is I take my WBS and I analyze what the actual task is. Uh, you know, if, if you're, let's take the example of building a house. You know, framing, you need carpenters to build a house, okay? You, but, but you know, a framing carpenter, when you're just putting up, nailing two by fours up, and uh, doesn't have to have the skill level that your finished carpenter, the guy putting in the cabinets, putting the trim work in, uh, using the, uh, you know, a miter saw and, and making reverse bevels and cuts and stuff like this. You know, a framing carpenter, Usually he's just taking a hand saw and uh, or a skill saw and, and, and making a straight cut. So it's a different, even though they still fall under the category of carpenter, there's a, a, a real difference between a framing carpenter and a finished carpenter. And, and you have to uh, break your tasks down to enough granular level that you know what task is really uh, what what uh, skill level is required the same way in uh, 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 in an IT department you know there are so many different uh, IT languages or, or you know computer languages that are out there today and development languages the way to do it just having a guy who's got five years experience working in IT doesn't mean he knows C++ or uh, or the you know I found myself one time working in a in an organization that still used Fortran, one of the original computer, and we had to go find someone to because of this program we were using. And it came out we we found this sixty eight year old gentleman who had been retired for several years, but he would been an original Fortran programmer, and with a little bit of. Uh, Brent dusting out his books, he got his, his skill set back up to operating level, and we brought this guy in and uh, to do this, use this in, in IT terminology, an, an ancient uh, computer program, and uh, but it worked out just fine. 
But but without knowing, just thinking that okay, I need five IT guys. Well, you know, one of those guys needs to know this you know specific language. So uh, so it's important, and the only way you get that is by granular detail of the task. That yeah, I love it. I love it. And you, what you're really just what you're really defining is the Pembok word decompose. Right. You're taking the WBS house and then you're breaking it down okay i need walls i need a roof i need framing i need foundation i need a site survey i need you know these are all these big needs and then even those can be broke down into further i would ask so as you continue to break it down um have you seen it ever get broke down too far like is there a time where you're like okay i want standard work rates like at a minimum four hours or eight hour shifts or something like that. Have you ever seen it broken down too detailed? It, it, it can get, I, yes, I have. And it's when you have an abundance of resources. And I, I, the, the simplest way to explain it is uh, if, if someone hands you $1,000 in $20 bills and you're walking down the street you know, you know, happy with your good fortune and you're counting uh, your money and one of the, you're on a windy day and one of those $20 bills blows out of your, your hand and blows down the street. How much effort are you going to put into going and retrieving that one $20 bill because you've got a fistful of them? Whereas the opposite is if they only gave you $100 and you had five $20 bills and you're walking down the street and something happens and one blows out of your hand, that one $20 bill is a lot more important to you than a $20 bill is if you've got, you know, 50 of them. And yeah. so the same way is when you get in a large organization where there's all, all kinds of people, all kinds of personnel resources, Things get sloppy and they just they just go down to the to the the you know in the Navy we used to call it the nuke level. You know, you're nuking this out. It's not not necessary. Uh, one of the greatest lessons I received is I was in a, a, a trip. We were building, we were on an exercise in uh, Turkey, building a a, a, a case span building, an expeditionary aircraft maintenance building for the Turkish Air Force. Uh, the foundation was pretty simple. You just dig a trench and put a rebar cage in there. I was down in this trench uh, with a with a tape measure and trying to get the cage set up exactly to the right dimensions to have two inches of cover on each side. And, and I was spending all this time and I happened to stop and I glance up and my chief, my ops chief, was standing up outside of the trench with his hands on his hip and he looked at me and he goes, Lieutenant, we ain't building a piano here. And, and I, I immediately, I knew exactly what he was, what he, what he meant. And so I crawled out of the ditch and said, pour the concrete. He goes, that's the right answer. And so you, you have to, I, and I use that every day in my life. When it comes to a decision, I ask, am I building a piano or am I building a plywood box? What, what am I building here? What's the point and how much effort are you going to put into it? So and it's the same way when you start analyzing resources and, and durations and putting together a schedule. I mean, that's the thing I enjoy so much about, and I'm not trying to push a product here, but Microsoft Project, it is such a great tool 
because if you just want to make a Gantt chart and show, hey, I'm starting this project today. I'm going to end it next Thursday. I got four people. That's the resource I'm going to use. It's going to cost me $10,000. And here you go. Here's the project schedule, the project budget, everything all on one piece of paper. Go get the boss to sign off on it. You got it. You're ready to go to work. You can take that same computer program if you've got a six-year project that you're going to have 10 million man hours invested on, and you can break it down and blow this thing up and make it into a, a volumetric schedule as far as the number of pages are concerned. And it's the same tool. It's Microsoft Project. So it's a, and it's, it's, it all comes down to pick the right tool to do the job. And uh, same way with resources, pick the adequate number of resources, pick the right resources to do the job. And in most cases, you know, one size doesn't fit all. You've got to, you get, as you gain more experience, you know, you learn what, what you really need. Um, sometimes you, uh, sometimes you're, you're in a point of discovery. You got to figure out what you need. I, I was working on a project in the Navy where we made a new autonomous vehicle and we were trying to figure out what rate of sailors we should train to do this. And we were spending weeks struggling over what to do. And I got hungry and went down to the bowling alley to get a sandwich in the snack bar. And I happened to notice there was an arcade room there. And I saw these young sailors and they're playing these video games. And that was that video game was very similar to the control system for this autonomous vehicle that we were developing. So I went in and started asking, hey, what's your rate? One guy was a corpsman. One guy was an aviation technician. One guy was a bosun's mate. And they were all equal on this, this game. So I went back. My message back to the group that I was in is, hey, we're, we're looking at the wrong thing here. We're not looking. We don't need to look at a rate. We need to look at a skill set. You know, go find sailors who play video games. Yeah, that's that's the and and then you know and then then you know that's the that's the rate you. I mean, if you want to be a seal today, you know they they have a source ratings. You know, you can you can come from all different uh, ratings in the navy and go into special warfare. And then once you go through seal training, yeah, then you become special warfare operator. But until then, I mean, there's bosun's mate, there's hull technicians, or aviation machinist mates. There's uh, all kind of rates can feed into special warfare, but then you then you become a special warfare operator. So yeah, great yeah. example. So great example of uh, you know skill sets and you know feeding into aptitude, appetite, you know, and attitude. I mean, it's it, it all begins to really start to congeal into hey, do I have the right resources? Do I have enough resources? And I really love the story of uh, the the twenty dollars. Because if you got a million dollars, 20 bucks, that's a rounding error. Yep. You got uh, you got a hundred bucks. Wow, that's an impact. You just lost right. a fifth of your budget. So I love that. And I think to the decomposing portion, it, you bring it down to an impact of work. That's your work package, your lowest level. And then you have activities that are on your activity list, but your work package should be down to your lowest level and it should contain a hundred percent of the work that you're planning. So, and, and my goal was always get it down to level. It doesn't matter anymore. Whenever you get down, keep, keep coming down your herringbone decision tree. When it gets down to, okay, do I go left or right? When the, when the answer is, it doesn't really matter, then stop. You're, you're <laughs> far enough. It, because, because if you're down to the level that there is no impact, to use the word that you've been using, 
then it doesn't matter. And, and you're just wasting time. You're caught, you're spending money to make a decision that's irrelevant. So right. don't yeah. do you that. can, you can plan too much, right? If it's a one month project and you spend three weeks planning, you may have chewed up too much time. And I'm, I, I do believe in the, you know, if you're going to go chop down a tree and it's going to be a day, spend the first six to eight hours sharpening the ax. Got exactly. it. <laughs> it's a great Abraham Lincoln, you know, adage. However, you can plan too much for a short duration project. I had an old project manager tell me one time that uh, the proof that uh, that you don't need uh, PMI processes uh, is the fact that Noah built the ark without them. So uh, he said, uh, he goes, imagine how long it would have took Noah to build an ark, you know, <laughs> if he followed, you know, modern project management processes. Uh, amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I dig that. But if you've done the proper documentation, maybe we'd know where it was at today. Yeah, so. That's right. So we've covered we covered our topics today. We hit it in about a, an hour for everybody out there that's going to be listening. And I really appreciate you tuning in and playing, Max. What what else? Anything else that you want to add to the discussion before we wrap it up? Well, I think thank you. You you covered all the topics very well, and once again, I just uh, I thank you for having me on. I've been I enjoy it, and uh, you know I hope the the next generation of project managers that this is uh, uh, valuable to them, and uh, uh, you know that they they benefit from them, and they can take the the lesson. This is sort of like a closing a project, you know, doing the lessons learned. Uh, uh, portion of it. And there, there's a lot of knowledge out there that you can, you can pick up by, by tuning into podcasts like this and uh, uh, a lot of experiences, a lot of scars, you know, on us old project managers, but, uh, but hopefully if there's some good lessons to be obtained from it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. The, when you met, when you mess up even, even a little bit, and you say, well, I could have optimized. I like, I'm a refiner by nature. So I always look at a process, like after I've done it, it's like, doggone it. If I would have just done this instead of that, at that moment, that would have changed everything. So I love that you're bringing this up as really as a lessons learned. I mean, exactly. we want you to prep and learn beforehand, but also this is our lessons learned from a lifetime of doing and getting, like you said, the battle scars. So a uh, really cool resource. And I, I love having you. I learn from you every episode. So it's really pretty, pretty uh, valuable to have you. Well, it's the same way. It's a, it's a two-way street because I've never met anyone or involved with anyone who's more fluent in the Pembok than you are. <laughs> I mean, to, to the point of quoting uh, 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 paragraphs and sections. So that that's great. It's nice to that I hope the 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 people who are out here using this as a training resource realize the how valuable it is having having someone with your uh, experience in the PMBOK. and especially because you know the even though regardless of what your desire may be to be an effective and maybe even a top ranked uh, project manager uh, the first wicket is to get through the PMP is to pass the PMP. And, and you pass the PMP by becoming, uh, you know, gaining knowledge in the PMBOK and using the, uh, you know, the, the content that's, that's out there that, that is going to be tested on you. And once you get the PMP certification, then you go, then the, then the learning starts. The that's learning right. of, of how, you know, this is, this is the process of, to get you to the starting gate. And, Amen. uh, and then you go on and have a have a very successful and lucrative career in the project management world. That's right. Milestone number one. 
PMP exactly. certificate. Exactly. Get your PMP. That's that. Yeah. That should be the the first milestone and celebrate it. All right. Well, great. We'll see you guys next episode, and we'll bring Max back and have some more great conversations. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the PM Pathfinder series and want to join the profession, certify, or maintain your PDUs by visiting vetstapm.com and looking up Project Manager Essential Toolbox or a boot camp.